Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST. I have a podcast app, Spotify, everywhere you listen to podcasts, and now on YouTube. If you're listening to this on YouTube, don't forget to check out the other video. We're going to be talking all things Moon Knight, maybe some Doctor Strange predictions. So check out that other video on YouTube. But if you're looking for the baseball action, it's coming up. And then hang tight for the Marvel talk afterwards. Fuck some baseball. Joining me right here. Alec Argento, my guy, the lone designated hitter, here to talk all things Yankees, Mets, and how proud he is of his team in pinstripes. Sup? What's going on? What? I forgot to actually say hello. What is up, bro? Uh, nothing. I'm beaming right now. I just got back from vacation. I got Doctor Strange tickets tomorrow. Uh, the New York Yankees were on an 11-game winning streak before getting screwed by the umps tonight. I don't want to be that guy, but I mean, Aaron Aaron Boone came out screaming hotter than I've ever seen before. So I mean, clearly something was going on. But mostly, I'm just upset that Drew's not here because Drew has been uh, the most uh, salty of Yankee fans I've ever seen in my life. And if you could look at my my screen here, it says that Drew's not allowed to the parade when we win uh, at the end of the year. So uh, that's how I'm feeling. But reeling about the Yankees, man. I you know I'll take a tough luck loss today when when it's coupled with an 11 game winning streak before that. All very fair. I, I too, am upset that Drew is not here. He's been, been just full of hot takes lately, a lot of which go against his normal calm demeanor, his normal optimism. And honestly, I think we're both a little concerned for his well-being uh, because we don't know who hurt him, but all the things that he seems to love in the world outside of Star Wars. I think Star Wars is scot-free for now. But the Yankees well, today's made the fourth. That's a great point. Yankees are pissing him off. He wasn't loving Moon Knight that much, and we'll get into that later. And even like, like he he's like rooting for the Mets more than he is the Yankees. The Rangers lost. He's not a happy camper, but he's not even here to defend himself. So I guess that's where we have to leave it. Yeah, uh, I guess I guess one thing to note is that I've been extra salty against the Mets lately because of Drew. So any hot takes you're going to be hearing from me, you can blame that on Drew because they're getting ricochet shots because I can't let, you know. The Mets fans have been waiting a long time to chirp as much as they have, like want to right now, being the arguably the best team in baseball. But they're arguable because the Yankees are number one. So it's it's tough when the only team that's better than you is Big Brother. Uh, so I mean, I'm just gonna go at them, and I know they want to say a lot, but they can't say anything yet. But before we get into all that baseball talk, don't forget that the NBA playoff action is nonstop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the NBA playoffs? Well, with DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your parlay by combining multiple bets. Maybe you like the spread. Maybe you like the over-under. Maybe you like Luka Doncic to go over on his points or Giannis to get rebounds over 10. And then, boom, you have a shot at an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place the same game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN 
bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Yeah, it's very frustrating, as said Mets fan, who's so happy to be here right now, uh, that I was <laughs> in all this this hate and chat between you, myself, and Drew, and I felt like the Mets hate wasn't even directed at the Mets fan in the chat, aka me, but I still felt <laughs> it. I got I was an innocent bystander just getting victimized left and right, and I did not like it. I did not like it, but let me tell you this, Alec, the Mets have not lost a series yet. Have we won every series? No, we technically just split a four-game series with the Braves, but we have not lost a series yet. LeVar Ball never lost. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing to be upset about yet, right? I mean, that's fine. I, you can celebrate the Mets all you want. One thing I'm not listening to is Yankee slander right now. I don't know how you could. I don't know how you could say, oh, it's just, you know, they're playing crappy teams until they're not playing crappy teams. Or, oh, it's just April until it's May and they're doing it. You know, it, it's it's all these things. It's okay to celebrate both of them right now. Maybe it won't last. It's a long season. There'll be up and ups and downs. But what you saw in the past month plus now is that these two teams are capable of being awesome. And you got to feel good about that. Um when was the last time that the Yankees and the Mets were both the best team uh, in New York uh, in, uh, in the sport, right? It's just not the last thing I can remember is 2001. And I don't even think records wise, that was the case. So where were the Yankees at in 06 when the, when the Mets were in NLCS, you know? Yeah. It, it's usually one or the other. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's usually one or the other. It's true. And that's why it is such a great time in New York. And realistically for all the times that Mets fans and Yankee fans argue so often the Yankees are on top and the Mets are punching up. They're punching from below. And then there was this point in time, especially preseason chatter, which I feel like drives a little bit of the, uh, the angst with the Yankee fans in regards to the Mets, where it's like, Oh, it's the Mets town. Now they're the team to be in New York and all this stuff that I, as a Mets fan don't like, because it makes me nervous and I don't trust ourselves, but it, it happened and it wasn't completely unreasonable to think in reality or sorry, in theory, in reality, the Yankees are still the big brother. They still hold the upper hand. And until they don't win 90 games in a season every freaking year, like you can't really argue it too, too much. Now we can have a serious debate that's talked out with detail about which team we think is stronger, which pitching staff is, is A, 1A, 1B, because that's really where they are right now. It's almost no debate that they're 1A, 1B in the league, right? But those are real conversations. The not so real conversations that are built off fandom, that are built off <laughs> hatred for one another and just competitive nature, those are the ones where it's like I think Matt got ahead of themselves because the Yankees had this weird offseason that even Yankees fans weren't hyped about. And I tried to tell all y'all the whole time, this is still a good team. This is still a really good whoa, team. Whoa, 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 whoa. I, you're saying this to me as if I didn't uh, during the season preview say that I felt good about the team. I was the one here who was the voice of reason here saying that, you know what, sure. the team looks better. They had Anthony Rizzo. They had, you know, coming in with breaking up the lefties and righties, getting more contact hitters, the rotation being incredible, knowing that the bullpen was incredible. And guess what? Everything was right about the Yankees. So uh, listen, it could very well change. It could very well change for any team in the league. Do I expect the Red Sox to be like, you know, uh, fighting for last place in the division? Probably not. Maybe. I don't know. But like, you know, the season's long and things things do have their ebbs and flows. But it's fine to celebrate either team right now and feel good about it, right? You don't have to 
say that they've won the championship or anything like that, even though I'm joking about it with my tag under here with the parade and everything. But it's okay to feel good about things right now and not have to wait for the other shoe to drop because the other shoe will drop for both teams at certain points. They will go on a six-game losing streak or something like that. But they they have shown that they are different teams than they were. They're capable of being different teams than they were in the past, right? They're teams that kind of don't let up and that um, – you know, I always, I know this sounds kind of weird, but I always look at the, the 2009 Yankees as my barometer for a team when I, when they have the magic, right? Which is whenever they're, no matter how much they're down at what point, whatever point in the game, I still feel like they can come back. And I feel like the Mets and the Yankees right now both have that kind of magic, right? They're not out of any game. Yankees were, you know, had bases loaded in the ninth. Uh, they were down to the, you know, the last, the last play was the, the, the game uh, in that, uh, in that game. So it's like any game they can come back from, they don't, take their foot off for, uh, you know, uh, the third game of a series or the fourth game of a series. If they can go for the sweep, they're going to go for it. They don't just back down and move on to the other city and celebrate that because these teams have not had that in a long time. And the biggest thing that I've said for the past <clears throat> five years or so is that the Yankees' biggest rival uh, has been April, right? And that's a huge thing for them now to come out of the gates hot. How I've been saying this as long as we've been doing this podcast, you can't win a a, 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 a a championship in April, but you certainly can lose it. And that's what looks like the Red Sox right now, right? The Yankees are usually in that Red Sox position where they're down eight games or something like that. And they'll chip away and they'll get within three games at certain points of the season. But you just know that it's not their season to take the division. So like you feel good about it for both teams. There's nothing wrong with feeling good about it. Cause I think people are nervous to do so right now. It's a great point by you. And that April thing, I, I think I actually ended up bringing it up specifically in the preview podcast because you always bring it up and you hadn't to that point. And I was like, Alec, you say this every year. You can't win in April, but you can lose. And now, granted, the Yankees had this 10, 12-game win streak now in April into May. Fast forward like a month or two when this is kind of in the history, that's a, that's a base that they haven't had. Yeah. So if they go on another 10-game win streak or 9-game win streak, that just... Pff, exponentially pushes them ahead of the pack. Whereas the nine game win streak they went on in years past just helped them climb back to competitive, uh, a competitive level. And that's where the big difference comes in because you really do see in every sport, except like even in basketball, football, all major sports, that, that slow start, that Oh, and four in football. How many times did you hear? Oh, only two teams in the history of the NFL have made the playoffs after this type of start in the NBA. Oh my God. This team's in the the 11 seed uh, month into the season. Yeah, can they get back to the five? Sure. Can they get back to the four? Maybe. Are they going to be now in a position of home field advantage? Playing catch up the whole year. Exactly. Now that's a huge win. On the Mets, on the other hand, they haven't specifically had a 10-12 game win streak, and they're just consistently winning series. And now I, I joke before, they still haven't lost a series. They split with the Braves in the four-game set. That is another great sign of a winning team, and it's very different from the Yankees' previous stretch here, but it's the fight that you're talking about. It's the consistency that you're talking about, and realistically, it's the ability to hang in multiple styles. Last year, when they were early and winning, it felt like they were just flying by the seat of their pants, winning lucky games late, not with big-time hits, with more you know, just haphazard stuff happening. This year, there seems to be purpose. There seems to be plans, and it's consistent throughout a series, which is leading to multiple victories within each series to this point. And that's something that, as a fan, it's like it's a different universe to to 
the lineup every day and feel a semblance of confidence to look at the rotation and have confidence, you know, one through four, five, really one through five to this point, And we don't even have our best pitcher. So right now you're right. There's no reason to feel terrible, but that doesn't mean there's no reason to point out some negatives or some things that need to be worked on because those things definitely exist too. Yeah. The frustration still exists. fans, Correct. Yeah, I mean, this frustration is on both sides, I'm sure. I mean, you look at the standings right now and you look at the Mets, like they have their issues and whatnot, but they're also four and a half games ahead of Miami. They're six games ahead of Atlanta. They're the you know the defending champs and six games ahead of Philly right now. So they can have warts right now, but every team's still figuring it out. And that's why it's so important to have that kind of baseline foundation that we were talking about now. So um, you can... You know, you can look at players like, uh, you know, Brian McCann sucking or something like that. It's fine. It's it's okay to have a player like that when you have afforded yourself the ability to deal with things like that, right, and have the depth to handle things. Um, and and the most important thing, I think, with getting this, these hot starts uh, is that, especially for the Mets, because they're a new team, uh, pretty fundamentally from top to bottom, is that you now know what your ceiling is, right? And then you will not be – you know, sometimes you find out what your ceiling is three, four months into the season when you go on your first big win streak or whatever, and then it's too late. But if you know you're capable of this and then you have the right people in the locker room, the, the, you know, you have a Max Scherzer type of guy in the, you know, in the rotation or whatever it is, uh, or like for the Yankees, what we think Josh, Josh Donaldson is, uh, you know, in the clubhouse and, and all that stuff. You can, oh, you know what you, you know what you can expect out of your team and out of yourself. And now you, that's your baseline going forward, right? So instead of searching for that and, and figuring it out, you have established that going forward so that you know that you can get out of those times when you have that six, seven game losing streak or whatever it is. And another thing too, which has been big for both squads is what they're doing against divisions. Uh, their, their divisions, I should say. So not, you know, the, the NL East isn't exactly holding up their end of the bargain because before the season, you looked at the AL East, you looked at the NL East, and you said these are two of the three best divisions in baseball, obviously counting the NL West probably being, if not number one, you know, you, you can really debate on where they where they all rank. Right now, the Mets are 9-5 and five against their division, and the Yankees are 10-6 and six against their division. And that's not like the craziest uh, winning percentage of all time. The Yankees are chewing up the central right now. Uh, the Mets are much there. They took out the diamondbacks and the giants so far, seven, seven and three against the NL West. So, but going against the division and beating them is so huge early in the season. And we talked about this, uh, when we did a short segment recently, you know, beating the diamondbacks for the Mets is nice right now, but beating the Braves, beating the Phillies, beating the nationals is a necessity. Cause that's the stuff that really comes back to bite you uh, down the road. When you're talking about, you know, not winning a season in April, but losing one. If you drop games, it happens. If you drop games in division, they're even harder to climb back on later on. And that's been, that's been absolutely huge. Now I want to hop over to the Yankees first. I want to talk about them first because, you know, we'll get, to, we'll get to the Mets. And I feel like the Mets has almost been more talked about early. And then over this past stretch, we haven't been on, uh, talking Yankees since they went on this winning streak. So let's get to them. From the first week of the season, Al, when, when it, for a lot of fans, and definitely wasn't you, so you do deserve credit, a lot of fans were just complaining about all sorts of things. Lineups, uh, you know, Boone again, black holes in, in, in the words of, uh, or in terms of Joey Gallo and Hicks and Kiner Falefa and Higashioka and all these guys who aren't hitting what was the key for that overturn? Because it wasn't like you guys came right out of the gates on fire. It took a few weeks 
And some of those guys are flipping back to, to reality or back to the back of their baseball cards. So what was the turning point really for you? And this streak really started to take them to something big. Yeah. So a couple of things, I think the, the biggest thing is that this was a very shortened spring training after, uh, you know, a very shortened off season because of the strike. I mean, the, the, not the strike, the, the union meetings and everything, but that should not go unaccounted for offense has been down in baseball significantly. The team like the Yankees that were just, you know, coined as the worst offense and they have no offense. They, they're not going to be able to hit now have the most eight plus run games, uh, winning games in the league right now. So that's a huge part of it. Additionally, the Yankees have a very, very unique team with a lot of different pieces that you have to plug and play. Boone today was it was the first day, day that we had a lineup card that was the same as another lineup card that we've had. Figuring out where people go when you have a lot of new players and a lot of players that haven't played in like a year and a half or two years, like Severino or or Hicks or whatever it is, like that takes a lot of work to figuring it out. But once you get it right, you have the pieces and, you know, getting it right in the first place is difficult because you have so many variables to it. But now you got you have a piece now where you know that, okay, we're going to get DJ LeMahieu leading off because DJ LeMahieu looks right again. Let's keep him there. Let's keep Aaron Hicks not at like batting ninth or anything like that. And, and we're going to keep him at the lower end of the order, but still he's going to be there to clean up some players and, and to get on base when we need to and not have a dead end. Additionally, you know, everyone was complaining about Isaiah Kiner for The guy's leading, like he's like the fourth highest batting average in baseball right now. Some people just need to get this team needed to gel a little bit. They needed to know what they were. And when you have a team that complements each other, I think what everyone really wanted was a, a team of guys that just hit a shit ton of home runs, right? That's clearly not worked for us in the past. There was a reason they moved on from that, right? There's a reason that they got a, someone like an IKF and a DJ LeMahieu on the same team and an Aaron Hicks because they're not guys that are home runner bust. But it allows someone like a Joey Gallo to – you can hide him, right? You can hide him and then use the strength of the fact that he is – a lefty and breaks up your lineup significantly to your advantage and absorb if he hits 180 like he is right now, or if he's hurt for a couple of days. Um, so I think that's what kind of changed the, changed the pace of things because the Yankees rotation has been unreal since the start of the season. Their bullpen has been unreal since the start of the season. You have three guys right now. And again, I know that this is a ridiculous comment, but like from the, if the season ended today, you'd have three guys that are in Cy Young voting between Severino, Cole and, and Cortez. I don't expect that to last. And then in addition to that, you have Montgomery and, uh, uh, and and Tyone, who have been fantastic too. And you knew you were going to have the best bullpen in baseball going into it. So like you knew your strengths, everything's clicking. And then on top of that, I probably shouldn't throw this out there to the baseball guys, but this is the healthiest the Yankees team's ever been in the past like five years. Uh, they went into the season incredibly healthy, and they've had one injury so far that was uh, that has been minor, and he's already back in the lineup. So what do we always say about the Yankees? Like on paper, they're good until they get hurt. And right now they're not hurt. And you have someone like judge who bet on himself and is in a contract year. It's probably going to go make a crazy contract and go play somewhere else. But like, he's going to be in the MVP voting at the end of the season. So everything's clicking. You can absorb things with the roster construction that they have. And it just took, you know, it's not even like it took a lot of time. It took like a week and a half for everything to start going for the Yankees. So I don't know. This is what I was kind of saying from the beginning when everyone was playing doomsday for, for the team. And I feel like there's been some sense, and obviously it's it's really hard to complain when you're winning as much. Yankee fans find a way. All fans find a way. But there's been less of a, oh my God, I can't believe he's not in the lineup today. Like I saw it a little bit for DJ when he wasn't in the lineup. I think it was two days ago now when this podcast comes out for the day game. And it's like, yeah, DJ should be in the lineup a lot. But everybody's getting off days. 
and it seems like the buttons are being pushed properly. Most, in fact, to what you see. And Aaron's hitting 100. Uh, Rizzo has nine home runs already this year. He's almost 370 right now. Like, that stuff is working out how it's supposed to. Uh, the pitching on the starters specifically, you had hope for them to be good. You had reason, some reason. I don't want to say a lot of reason. You had some reason to believe they'd be really good. They've far surpassed expectation. And Garrett Cole came out so hot about the pitching staff. It has jumped out to you specifically. Like, is it the fact that Nestor as the whatever number you want to slot him in is balancing out the rotation? Or do you think at this point, it's just individual performance and those guys are stepping up to the plate? Well, to the mound. I don't think that this is surprising to anyone. I think this is what we expected, right? Like, I, I, I think the conceit of the question is it's kind of unfair because, you know, Jamison Tyone like, was the best pitcher in baseball in the set, like for the last three months of, of the season last year. He had a dust off the cobwebs and he was good to go. Nestor Cortez had like a two ERA last year. Like, I, I know that he didn't start as a starter, but he's in the rotation now. He's just doing what he did beforehand. This guy, Garrett Cole, he might be something good. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what's going on with that guy. I never heard of him before. But, like, in all reality, he's a Cy Young favorite every year, you know. And then you have Luis Severino, who was our ace before we got Garrett Cole. So you have two aces on the team. And then you have a bunch of number twos and threes. You don't have a four or five pitcher on this team. That's going to set you up. So, like, I, I don't – nobody was worried about this rotation going in outside of health. And again, it does remain to be seen because you don't know what Severino's like longevity is going to look like or Tyone. I mean, these are guys that have lived on the IL for a long time. But, you know, this this doesn't surprise me at all. The only thing that like the the only thing that's surprising me right now with the team is Aaron Boone, because Aaron Boone is someone who I've been on his ass every day that he's ever been a Yankee manager except for one year. And he is hitting every button that he's supposed to be hitting. Uh, He is the you know. Every bullpen uh, pitcher is is doing what they're supposed to be doing. Nobody's getting overworked. The lineups are working. The you know shifting people over in positions. That was one of the big things I said was going to be an X factor going into the season. Was how do you make do with nine position players fighting for eight spots? He's doing it well, uh, and you don't miss anybody out of the lineup, right? You're. The, I think the most important piece is that uh, Aaron Hicks with the switch, uh, switch hitting and, um, uh, DJ Lee with his bat who could play all over the diamond are getting as many at bats as possible. And he's doing that. DJ has been in pretty much every game and Hicks has been in most every games. And then we don't have that. You're able to have judge and, and Stanton play the outfield. So like you have so many weapons right now and Boone is doing exactly what you'd want him to be doing. And you can't question anything that he's doing, even when it's a little bit head scratching because it's yielding results. Right. Yeah, Hicks and Gallo were points of contention to start this year uh, for the first couple of weeks. Hicks obviously got the numbers up. He's walking like he's walking so much, which is, you know, as much as people want to poo-poo different stuff about baseball right now and the numbers and analytics, whatever, walking's good. You can't deny it. Walking's good, and when he wasn't hitting, he was walking. Now he's also hitting. It's a win-win. Gallo, on the other hand, you still look at the numbers and you want to throw up. He's walking a decent bit. You know, his on-base percentage is almost 100 points higher than his than his batting average, but his batting average is 180, right? That's ugly. Is that something that is worrisome still? Now, feel so good about the surrounding parts that the 180 doesn't bother you as long as you, you know, hope to see him get to 220 and the power to, to stay around. 
Yeah, I mean, it bothers me. Like, who wants to see a crooked number like that on there? On, you know, when you have to look at it every day. Part of it is the fact that, hey, he was out for like a week because he was hurt. Uh, he is hitting the ball a little bit better. You know, he had a home run tonight uh, in the loss, uh, and that was nice to see. But this is what he is. He's not going to hit 300 a year, right? That's just not. But I need him to hit around 220 to 240 or something like that and then walk the way that he's going to be walking. Uh, I... I I, you want to see him doing well in Yankee Stadium too, right? You look at Anthony Rizzo and look at all his success. Like six of his eight home runs or something like that have all been short porch home runs, which is what that's there for, right? That's why you want lefties on the team to take advantage of that. Judge, uh, I mean, Judge uh, Gallo hasn't been taking advantage of things like that, but he should be. And hopefully it averages out, right? He's still played under half a full season uh, with the Yankees yet, and maybe he just needs to get used to it. But I think also a big aspect of what I – there's two big aspects to Gallo that I think are hopefully going to improve. One of them is that the balls have been deadened clearly uh, with offense being down, but also another aspect is that it's still cold outside, right? Like it's not, not cold, cold, but once it's July and August, I'm all worried about the Yankees hitting home runs. This is what they do. Teams usually struggle to hit home runs. Look at the the blue Jays right now. They're not hitting home runs or hitting the way that they should be uh, even though they're in second place. Once it gets warmer out, the balls are going to fly, and cheap fly balls for lefties in Yankee Stadium are going to yield a lot of home runs. So uh, that's, you know, it doesn't bother me as much if because Gallo and, uh, like, the catcher spot are the only positions truly not producing. So right. you could hide it. I know that there's, like, this this sentiment out there, as Drew, Drew is a victim of this, that you need to have one through nine that can hit. Uh, and they need to all be able to bomb home runs, and uh, that'll create a winning team. The reality of the situation is it's all about lineup balance. It's not just about everyone hitting. It's about who, what it does to elevate other players, uh, absorbing certain things, defense. Nobody's talking about the defense that, that the Yankees have had. The Yankees had one of the worst defenses in the league last year, and now they have one of the best because they got rid of players that were bad defensively and replaced them with good players. So that that's the other side of the ball. It's really important. Yeah, and to – Compared to the Mets for a second, we're not going to go to them yet. The go Mets are a team, they're not hitting home runs yet, but they have basically the same amount of runs scored as the Yankees for the for the year. They're both just over 120, uh, which is extremely high in the league. I think that might be, I think that's one and two. That's one and two in the league, depending on if this ESPN page refreshed for today's games or not. They're literally one and two. Um, the Mets are doing without home runs and it is because a lot of balance and even though James McCann is a black hole like Higashioka is and JD Davis isn't playing to the back of his baseball card the balance is creating runs in other ways and the Mets are being more aggressive in other ways not just trying to hit home runs on the Gallo front quickly and we're going to put a loop in the Yankee stuff soon the one thing I saw on Twitter that I kind of get but I also think it's like it's almost like a pointless argument it's like oh Joey Gallo and the short porch don't matter because when he hits home runs, he hits bombs, so it doesn't matter, right? And, and yeah, I get it. So, okay, then he's just going to hit bombs. Over the course of the year, this dude is, has a proven track record to hit a bunch of home runs, and I think it will balance out. And whether it comes in bunches or he sprinkles a couple here and there, he's going to be a guy that's going to swing games. And if you want to slot him in to the Gary Sanchez role that people like like uh, Drew had loved so much, Maybe he's the Gary Sanchez of this lineup. And guess what? It's not that bad if he's going to actually deliver and get on base with the walk. So I, I think there's reason to be to be very, very confident. Now, let me just ask you this more specific. Wait, what do you, what do you got? 
No, I, I think import, the important aspect of it is that we're not going to have this thing where we have to have Joey Gallo bat cleanup or something like that, which is not what they've been doing. They had him batting seventh today. And if you have him bat seventh and you understand where he is and you're not screwing up everything else, and then you give a little bit more lineup versatility at the bottom of the order, which it can help Isaiah kind of or something like that. Really, really important uh, to have that. I don't care. I mean, personally, I'd rather somebody who puts the ball in play than, than anything else. If he's if he can walk at a 400 on base percentage and bat 180, then I don't give a shit. But he's not doing that. He's you know who has an on base percentage of like 280 right now. So, uh, I, I that that's not the problem. But um, if we don't have if he does he doesn't have the name attached like a Gary Sanchez did where we had to put him into the five spot or the six spot or something like right. that. That that means a lot. Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, let me let me play the Drew role here for a minute now, right? Let me uh, put on my Drew hat and try to play the role of the people who are frustrated here. Of course, I mean, maybe maybe he's on an island with that, but we'll, we'll see. So he's had arguments about this team poking holes where he can and says he doesn't care because they're beating up on bad teams. They're doing what they're supposed to. I still have issues with this, with this lineup. I still have... Uh, I don't have full trust in in the rotation. When you hear heaps of negativity like that, what is your counter? Because clearly you and Drew have been butting heads on that front uh, for weeks now. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I wish I wish the listeners could just see our text message chat. Uh, but right. uh, I mean, I've had a counter for every one of those. It, it's just constantly moving the goalposts, right? It, if you just want to be salty about it because you didn't like the offseason moves, first of all, I, I want to pull up what I sent in the group chat. Uh, maybe like yesterday or so. It was the wars of all the people that um, that, that had uh, just not produced the way that it was supposed to be doing. I'll pull it up in a second. But ultimately, uh, we have been performing a lot better than the players that we missed. And there's a lot of saltiness because we didn't get that Carlos Correa or that Trevor Story or that Corey Seager or whatever it is. Right now, Gary Sanchez, is, or as of yesterday, had a negative 0.2 war. Trevor Story also had a negative 0.2 war. Gia had a 0.3 war. Carlos Gray had a 0.4 war. Carlos uh, Carlos Seager. Corey Seager had a 0.7 war. That's I'm not the biggest war fan, but if you want to look at early indications, it's a fair, reasonable stat. Josh Donaldson, who everyone thinks is underachieving right now, and maybe he is, has a 0.5 war. So already better than uh, Trevor Story, Gary Sanchez, and GR Shell combined. IKF has a 0.6 war. Uh, second on on that uh, on the the losers list of only Corey Seager. Anthony Rizzo has a 1.1 war. Uh, and, and Freddie Freeman had a 0.8 war at the time. All of our players that we have right now fit our team well. Do you want a basketball team that has only people who can shoot three-pointers, or do you want a team that you know is balanced and can do different things and have the right role players do it? That's what you have right now. So I don't you could if you're gonna be salty and you want to move the goalposts of saying, well, the pitching's great. Uh, but the offense isn't there yet. And then the offense comes and it's like, well, of course the offense is going to be good. They're healthy. That's always the question is being healthy. Well, they're healthy and you can't blame them for that. You also can't blame a team for beating the teams that they're supposed to beat. We say that all the time. It's like one of the oldest adages in sports. Nobody's doing that with the Mets. uh, And uh, I I don't think they should because you're supposed to, you know, you're taking care of business and the offense is is clicking on all cylinders. The, Pitching is is hitting on all cylinders. And then the defense, which has been such a critical part, has been hitting on all cylinders. And then you couple all that with the fact that Aaron Boone has been a good manager so far. That's hard for me to admit. If I'm admitting it, it must be really true, right? So uh, 
there's nothing to complain about right now. There really isn't. You, even tonight's loss, it was a bullshit loss because the ump uh, was horrible the entire night and calling out uh, Judge and Stanton the entire night for horrible pitches. But and you were, you, were, you were due for a loss, frankly. You know, it happens. Yeah, it happens. One twelve in a row. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's not that big of a deal. But uh, yeah, I, I, there's if you're complaining about this team, you got a big old dump in your pants. That's all I gotta say. It feels like to me, if you're really complaining still at this point, you're just expecting something to go wrong. That's what you're doing. You're not arguing for anything that's happened, for anything that's real to this point. You're arguing for something bad to happen in the future, that there's going to be a regression to what you believe is the mean, and you don't believe that they're playing at towards towards their mean right now. Or maybe they're playing a little bit above with the... Sure, but, but the problem that. with that the problem with that argument is that there are no statistics that would point to us getting lucky right now. We're not getting bat bipped to death or anything like that. Our run differential is the best in baseball. You know, all nothing would point to us having a regression. There will be probably some regressions. I'm sure Nestor Cortez will have one game where he gives up six runs in two innings. Right, that will happen. It will happen for everyone. You always have your bad games and you'll have your streaks and everything like that. But this is what the team should be on paper, right? That's it. Yep. And, 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 and you should feel good about that. You should feel good that they're reaching their potential, right? And not have to look for any negativity and be jaded over past years. Right. And I'm sure there's some crooked numbers in regards to like the Blue Jays run differential, which is negative right now, but they're still 16 and 10. Maybe, maybe part of the, the nerves for Yankee fans aren't just about their team but the surrounding teams in Tampa and Toronto getting better as well and evening out the playing field, which is a more fair argument. But again, that in a vacuum or in the scope of what we're talking about, which is the Yankees specifically, it doesn't affect the Yankees. Yeah, it'll affect them head-to-head -head if the Blue Jays are now on a roll and they're playing each other. But in general, you can only control your own team and they're playing to their but potential right now. But but even the argument with with the other teams in the division, I said this in the, in the like the opener that we did for baseball season. The Blue Jays are an identical team to the Yankees, and and so far they've been a worse team than the Yankees. They they have they and cannot hit with runners from a from a pitching standpoint too. Well, yeah, the, the pitching has been horrible for them, which is always the question mark for them. And and last year it was better than it usually is. They obviously had Robbie Ray and whatnot, but uh, the pitching has been garbage for them. And then on top of that. They have Yankee syndrome, which is they have a ton of big names who can hit individually but can't do it together, right? And that's shown by the fact that they can't hit with runners in scoring position. They can't do it, which has been an issue for the Yankees for the past 150 years that I've been, you know, as long as I've been watching the Yankees, they haven't been able to hit with runners in scoring positions except for championship years. They are an identity. Well, I mean, you know, in the past, no, many in the 20 years, uh, but uh, they're an identical team to the, the bad parts of the Yankees over the past couple of years. They will win games. That's not a team I, 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 that I, I am particularly scared of in the playoffs, to be honest with you. It's this reminds me of the old Blue Jays teams that were good with like Jose Batista and Josh Donaldson, like Justin Smoke and all that. It's just home runner bust. And that's fine. But the Yankees have been home runner bust teams for forever. And it doesn't work. It just it doesn't work. You need you need a balance lineup. So. There, there's a cap there for sure. And, uh, you know, I actually liken the Phillies as well to yep. the Yankees last year. And specifically what comes to mind is all these big bats, all these home runs that should be in the lineup, which haven't really been there for the Phillies. But the underlying issue as well is the defense. And Glaber Torres not being at shortstop, or at least most likely playing there a couple times here and there. But 
him not being a shortstop and IKF being a legit shortstop makes a difference. Like it's something that you want to overlook as a baseball fan. You're like, Oh, defense, you'll just throw it together and you figure it out. But when you have a good one, you realize that it matters. And to do a cross sport reference here, the Boston Celtics are a team that jumped to mind when you made the comparison, like, do you want just a three point shooting team? No, you need somebody to get to the rim. You need to get to the free throw line and you need to play fucking defense. The Celtics are proving out why defense is so important in, in the NBA playoffs. And the Yanks, to this point, without Luke Voigt playing first base, without Gary Sanchez behind the dish, without Glaber at shortstop, man, they're proving that it helps out a little bit, doesn't it? These pitchers, uh, you know, the, the ERAs are ERAs. They get helped out a little bit by some good defense. I mean, look at Anthony Rizzo. By, like, again, I understand he's not Freddie Freeman. Right. Would I have liked Freddie Freeman? Sure. Anthony Rizzo is perfect for this team. Absolutely tailor made for what this team needed. He saves so many runs at first base. He's like how Teixeira was. You throw anything, you sail it, he's catching it. You throw it six feet wide, he's catching it. And if you throw it in the dirt, he's, he's getting it on a pick. That's exactly what the Yankees had missed with Luke Voigt. So Luke Voigt could be salty about the Yankees and all that, but like he wasn't fit, a fit for the team and he can go be on the aisle with San Diego like he's doing right now. So, uh, <laughs> You have like just having someone at first base who's a, a platinum glove fielder is like the biggest thing that the Yankee needed. The Yankees needed, and you couple that with a lefty bat who can hit for power and a sandwich between power hitters that are some of the best in baseball. Like he's the perfect fit for this team. It's just it's like exactly perfect for what the team needed. Yeah, very easy to poo-poo first base defense until you have a bad one. So I hear that yeah. and. Uh, now, uh, let's move on to the Mets. Let's talk some Mets stuff here because it's a different type of conversation, but it's also a mostly positive conversation with some holes that you need to, you know, you need to point out and you need to talk about. Though, I, I must say, if you look at the, the Mets lineup now with Dom Smith coming around a little bit, it really, now that Robinson Cano got DFA'd, which is obviously a win for Mets fans because he just was he didn't have it. And I, I, I was working the fan two weeks ago. My guy, Mike Flegelman, was hosting. Shout out to Fleegs. He was like, I think there's a reason that the Mets played Cano so much. And it makes so much sense, right? I hadn't really thought of it to that point. They didn't see. They need to make sure that he wasn't going to just roll out of bed and hit 280, right? Because there's a world where this guy who's 40 and washed up could still hit. Because he always seemed like one of those guys where it didn't particularly matter how fast he could run and slow as hell, right? Or, or how quick twitchy he was. He was just going to hit. Well, he wasn't. They played him a lot early in this season and it didn't work out and they made a decision, a strong one and said, we're going to get $40 million player, whatever the hell his salary is. Right. Which is a lot of teams wouldn't make that decision. They wouldn't just eat that money. So that, that tells you something that the Mets are going in a winning direction at the right pace, but you look up and down the lineup after that. And as, as good as we felt about the Mets offense going into the year, it was largely in theory. Lindor was off a bad season. Alonzo was off a lackluster season. Dom Smith didn't hit last year. McNeil didn't hit last year. All the fun plays. Marte has been average to this point, maybe a little below average. And um, Dom Smith's starting to get back up a little bit. But this is a lineup. This is a lineup now where every single day when you watch it come out, you say, okay, um, you know, who I'm trying whoever's out, you know, Escobar's out today. That's okay. Guess what? Guillaume is a more than serviceable guy to, to come into the lineup. Or, you know, Ken is out today. Janikowski has been phenomenal for this team. And the depth is serious. The strength 
numbers for the Mets is serious. And up and down this lineup, it's incredibly strong to this point. And that's without the home run. Uh, right now, uh, the Mets have five home runs from Alonzo, four from Lindor, three from Nimmo, two from Marte. That's the only people with more than with two or more. Like you look at the Yankees, they got nine from Rizzo, nine from Judge, five from this guy. The Mets aren't even hitting home runs, and they're putting runs on the board. I think there's reason to believe this offense has a higher bounds to reach. Right? Is that crazy? If I want to be an optimist here. Al, would you push back and say that I'm being too much of an optimist that this offense actually is already, you know, occupying its full potential and there's not much more room to grow? I don't know if it's their full potential. I don't think this team is built to be a home run hitting team. Right? That was kind of what we talked about earlier on the season. That's fine because what you really needed was you needed to have two players that are producing that, that like it was similar to the Yankees with like DJ Mayhew, but like, uh, Jeff McNeil and Francisco Lindor are producing is what that team needed because they can hit to all sides of the field. They're versatile players. They're really good on defense. Well, more so Lindor. Lindor is fantastic on defense and everything like that. But having that confidence and having them in the middle of the lineup is that's what's doing it for you. But nobody on that team is outside of Pete Alonso is someone who's going to get you 40 plus home runs. That's totally fine though, because you have a ton of people there that are going to get you 20, 25 home runs. Those aren't power hitters, but those are good players that can hit the ball and run into one here and there. And that's what your lineup is filled with. Right. And you, you have players like Starling Marte who are going to get better. It's, that's just how it is. That, that talk about going, uh, going back to the mean, it's not a regression of the mean, but you know, when, uh, improvement to the mean or whatever you want to call it. He's going to get better. Uh, You have players uh, like that. uh, J.D. Davis will probably start hitting a little bit more. And um, Lindor, I would worry a little bit about regressing to the mean just because of what we've seen for the past two years. He's had some bright spots and everything. But, like, this is if this is what the team is, which is what I think it is, that's also not a bad thing, right? It's not a bad thing for them to score this many runs with contact hitting. I think that people have lost uh, – it's it's one of those things where like with modern analytics and exit velocity and how many home runs you're expected to hit, that people forget the, the art of making contact. Uh, and maybe you shouldn't build the lineup around it, but like you – if you have everyone making contact with the ball, good things are going to happen. If you're aggressive on the base pass because you have people making making contact all the time, you're going to score runs. That's clearly what's happening. And there's more than one way to skin a cat, right? You don't have to just hit three-run home runs or bust. Uh, you can build it. And uh, I don't know, home runs always a rally killer, right? It's uh, You want people to just constantly be passing the baton. That's always my, my way of thinking. Yeah, and on the McNeil front specifically because you know he's a guy that was so huge when this team was winning, playing good because he is a sneaky power, but just dynamic hitter. And when he was slumping last year, it looked like he fell in love with the home run, to your point, right? Like, he's a guy who was never looked at as a 30-home run guy. And he had that year where he snuck into the 20s, or, you know, mid, I think he was even in the mid-20s that one year. Like, he probably got a little home run happy. And Todd Zeal pointed out beautifully on the broadcast uh, two days ago, where McNeil had this long at-bat uh, where he fouled off I think he fell off four pitches in a row with two strikes and he wasn't even looking to drive the ball on those pitches, but they were nasty sliders or they were filthy pitches where he was fighting him off, fighting him off, fighting him off. And, you know, he turned out not even to get a hit in that at bat, but seeing that from a guy like him who lives on being aggressive early in the count, he took that aggression early in the count to the full count in years, in the year past in last year, right? Now he's realizing, all right, let me get the approach right with two strikes and not go down swinging and uh, really just ruin my numbers, ruin my season, ruin innings consistently. And, and that's just a huge 
you know, you could argue about philosophy. I know Eric Chavez, the hitting coach now. People uh, liked Chili Davis and said that his approach was similar to Eric Chavez anyway. I don't know what it is, but clearly there's a newfound confidence and there's a newfound approach with this Mets team that is definitely clicking. And when you have solid throughout, it makes it a lot easier to be consistent because you could deal with a Lindor 0 for 5. You can deal with Alonzo uh, 0 for 4 with three strikeouts when you have McNeil and Kana and Marte on base. Brandon Nimmo, I mean, his health. Talked about health for the Yankees. Brandon Nimmo being healthy at the top of this lineup is ginormous. I mean, this dude just doesn't swing at bad pitches. It's actually ridiculous. They, they make jokes now on the broadcast that there's a force field around his strike zone because it's impossible to make him chase. And I know he's a really hateable guy with his sprints after he gets walked and he sprints around the base. That's my run. It's annoying. It's a little bit childish, but just from a, a pure talent standpoint, having him in the lineup at number one every day is huge. And, you know, right now he's on base at 364. There's no reason to believe that on base can't get a little better if he starts hitting a little more too. Cause Boy, I mean, is there is how many better uh, table setters are there in the league than Nimmo if he's if he's hitting 270, 280? I'm with you. Even if you hate him. I despise him. He I if he was on the Yankees, he would be the most hated player in the league. I guarantee you, if he was on the Yankees, he would be the most hated player in all of baseball, probably the history of baseball. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So let's go on to the pitching for the Mets now because obviously they've done all of this to this point without Jacob deGrom. Hasn't pitched a game yet. And you look through the starting five or starting six because Taiwan's been uh, been out of the lineup now after just a start or two. Um, after, yeah, second start, he got hurt. I mean, the worst ERA out of the bunch is Carlos Carrasco at 3-3. You got two two sixes. You got a 1-9 and a 1-9. I mean, you can't really ask for much more. The Tyler McGill consistency has been fantastic, but I really kind of want to focus on, on Carrasco because Carrasco, even though he's probably the weakest link right now has looked awesome for the Mets. And he's a guy where he was a swing player because you knew what he's been in the past, but there was no real reason to trust that he'd have that still in 2022. So in, in regards to a guy like that, Alec, I mean, he's a guy that you saw in, in battles with the Indians last like, or the, the guardians, I'm sorry. Um, Having a guy like that with nasty stuff who can pitch in deep into games, what does that mean to this rotation, especially looking forward to when DeGrom is back or if, if and when he comes back to have a Carrasco at that 3-4 slot who can be nasty? I mean, to answer your question, it would mean a lot, right? That's the obvious answer there. Of course, it would be incredibly beneficial. You have an innings eater who can, who can you know, uh, strike out people and not, you know, induce soft contact and everything like that. My one thing that I would say with the Mets is that's where I think you're going to see a severe regression to the mean with their pitching. Don't expect McGill to have that kind of season for the rest of the season. Don't expect Peterson or whatever, whoever they're throwing out there, Carrasco, Walker. I mean, look at Walker last year. Walker was an all-star going into going to the all-star break, obviously. And then afterwards he sucked. So uh, I know he was hurt or whatever the case was, but this this team, this rotation, the way that it exists right now, I don't expect, and granted, I don't think anybody expects them to have a sub two ERA going forward, right? Nobody expects that. But I think that like, 
and I love Taiwan Walker. I liked him when he was on the Mariners, but uh, I, I think that there's going to be a big regression halfway through the season for some of them, not all of them. If Max Scherzer is healthy, Max Scherzer is going to be Max Scherzer. That's always the thing, right? Like if he can stay healthy, which so far he has, there's no indication outside of his age that he will, you know, and DeGrom coming back, DeGrom will be DeGrom. Every time he comes back from an injury, he always is. Uh, and we got good news on him, but to answer your question, Carlos Carrasco being good at the, at the back end of the rotation. Great. Of course, that's, it's an awesome thing. I, I have no qualms with that. Um, you don't trust I, you don't trust it per se. This this reminds me of last year with the Mets when everyone was hurt and the offense and they had the the Alar brothers or, or or whatever everyone right. called them but with Pilar and VR and everything like that and they were just kind of like they got lucky right they they had passion and they were trying to fight for 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 at bats and everything like that so they were doing well and they're capitalizing on their time but ultimately in a long season that's the difference between baseball and every other sport is talent wins out right and I'm not saying that. McGill or Carrasco or Walker aren't talented. God knows they are, but like, you know, we case in point last year, right? The, the, it's just how it is with pitching in, in baseball. So I, I, you know, you follow the trends of what they've done in their careers and Carrasco has had all the talent in the world, but Carrasco is always injured. Uh, sometimes mm -hmm. it's like things completely out of its control. I believe he had cancer and everything like that. But a lot of times it's just like, you know, these are nagging issues that he has. Taiwan Walker's like that too, uh, you know, and and I just don't trust McGill and Peterson. They're not they're not household names for a reason, right? That this is just this just right. screams Ilar brothers to me. Yeah, I think it's very fair on uh, the Peterson front for sure. The McGill front, yes, it is fair in the sense that last year, for example, his first couple starts were electric, and then he kind of fell down to earth. This year, his stuff is better. Like his stuff's better. He seems more commanding and, you know, now every start he makes, he's five starts, you know, start six through 10, the ones that maybe start to, to fall back to earth. There's more and more film on him. There's more and more tendencies out on him. This is where we're going to see if he could be that dude. And I put more money on McGill being a top three guy in the rotation than I would Peterson, than I would Carrasco, than I even would Taiwan Walker. I think there's a real chance that he can be, one of the the guys you lean on in this rotation. And then what they really need is luck. They need some luck when, when undoubtedly one of these guys falls down to earth or gets hurt. If DeGrom comes back in that same general time frame, game changer, right? If all of a sudden Peterson's getting shelled and Carrasco's banged up, if DeGrom's back in that, you know, couple weeks stretch right there, it, it, it really does heal a lot of wounds and, and you're a hundred percent right. Like, all these moments where the others, right? Yeah, that's a with basketball, right? Yeah, you can your baby. What are the others doing? Are they hitting shots? Are they finishing possessions? Are they rebounding? The others for the Mets are uh, McGill, Peterson, Carrasco right now. I think McGill can become a top three. The other two, you know, we'll see what happens. And, and Bassett, you know, there's not much to say other than he's the shover. Like he's gonna get yeah. out there. He's gonna get out there and compete. He won't be the best pitcher in the league. He will probably be, you know, borderline all-star. Who knows? Like, give or take, maybe close, maybe not. Depending on how many other guys probably make it from the Mets. He's going to shove. He's going to com compete. He's probably going to eat innings. I think you trust him. I do think McGill can enter those ranks. Um, and in regards to uh, – I have one more question for you. In regards to the bullpen, which has been mostly good, a couple 
couple iffy spots here and there as, as most bill pens go through, but Edwin Diaz specifically, is there, is there a narrative change with Edwin? He was very good last year and people were pretty skeptical. He's been very good again this year. Uh, I know he has, I think two blown saves, but he's been very good in general. Are you noticing a, a vibe change with people around baseball and Mets fans all of a sudden trusting Edwin Diaz? Uh, and is that fair? Is that reasonable? It's a dangerous game. Is all it's a dangerous game. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm getting a lot of feedback. I keep hearing myself. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a dangerous game, but I, I mean, long, longer the days of, having a Mariano Rivera where you ultimately trust them. Look at the best closures in baseball. You could consider Rolnish Chapman one of the best closures in baseball until you watch him every day and you want to blow your brains out every time he comes into pitch. Um, you know, you look at Kenley Jansen or, you know, around the league, wherever you want to go, there's always – and they don't last long, right? Uh, so Edwin Diaz has been a closer for like five years now. That's really good, and he's getting better. He's more comfortable with the team. You could probably say that the Mets won the trade with the Mariners just because of Edwin Diaz alone because – you, even without Cano, Kalenic probably looks like he sucks, uh, <laughs> at least at this point in his career and everything like that. So I don't know. Edwin Diaz has been good. It helps when you have a good coach that puts him in the right situations, right? And I know what you'll say, like a closer, it's the same situation every time. But I don't know, getting the right setup guys in there, getting the insurance runs that you have for them, making sure that they're not coming in with the most tenuous of leads or anything like that, that they're in a position to succeed. So, you know, pitchers thrive on that, knowing that they're, lead is going to be uh, what, what they're going to have and, and, you know, to work with it and all that stuff. So I don't know. I, I, I definitely could see an, I am seeing a narrative change out there. I would be wary because I would be wary with any closer that's like considered lights out or anything like that, because it doesn't exist anymore. Not with yeah, the way baseball is played anymore with offense. One more point on that. Cause we're going to close off on the baseball talk here in regards to, Oh yeah. You just put the closer in the same situation all the time. It's not always that clean cut, right? Like, he has five saves right now. He's been in 11 games and yet he blew. I think I'm, I'm not, I can't see it on baseball reference, but I think he's blown two saves this year, which not great, but whatever. Um, he's been in games where it's not a save situation. And are there other managers who would say, Oh, let's save Edwin for tomorrow for tomorrow's save, even though we're up five right now and he's kind of scheduled to pitch. And why don't we just get him some work? Let's build the confidence, right? Like, those things do matter, and we haven't talked about Buck Showalter, but I'll leave it as Buck Showalter is one of those dudes who inspires confidence. It's pretty hard to argue that at this point. The way he stepped out of the dugout for his team with all the hit-by-pitch stuff that happened over the first couple weeks of the season, the way he stands up for his guys, and, and the way that these guys respond to him, even Lindor and Escobar uh, messing with Buck when he comes out to the make pranks. a pitch. Yeah, yeah like they're... Touching his Eastland, doing the type of stuff that Buck is known for to bring teams together, to pull the right strings, to not be blind to analytics and analytics only. And that's what we're getting. So I, I think if this is a Mets and Yankees love fest to this point, Alec. Do you have any other last words for baseball uh, before we say goodbye on this front? No, I, I, it's just nice to have like actual legitimate banter with my Mets fans. And I'm sure they feel the same thing about the Yankees fans, even though most people probably wouldn't uh, want to admit it, but it's good when both teams are good because it's fun to have conversations and New York's a baseball town. So it's fun. Yeah. And how cool is it that two completely different offenses are the two best offenses in the league to this point? Like that's, that's pretty sweet. 
Yeah, I, the only thing I'll say is like I'm curious once the rest of the divisions figure things out because the Yankees have been in first place pretty much the entire year, even before they went on this on this tear, which what like with like, like being a game over 500. Uh, let's see what happens when the the Phillies and the Braves uh, figure things and the Marlins. I don't know what are they good or are they not good. I have no idea what's going on over there. And then, you know, the Red Sox won't be 12 games under 500 at the end of the year, but they're not, they may not be division leaders, but you know that the Rays are going to be better than they are right now. And you have no idea what the Blue Jays. So I'm just curious because right now it looks like the only good division in baseball is the NLS. So uh, very curious to see when things kind of start to kick the groove back up and, and how uh, these teams respond. Yeah. I look forward to this conversation in another week or two so we can continue to, to talk it up and debate and hopefully we'll have drew back for that one where you know the angst that's been existing in the designated hitters group chat can come to life on the subway sports talk podcast so we're not done yet we're here to talk some marvel we're going off the rails we're talking moon night uh we're going to sprinkle in some dr strange predictions so if you're on the podcast just hang tight you don't have to do anything we're coming at you but if you're on youtube next video don't forget if you're a marvel guy this will be a lot of fun so al stay tuned Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy. We're here to go off the rails and talk about something that's not sports related at all. It's just actually the sport of nerds, the sport of comic book folklore and the world of the MCU that we love so much. So let me start off by saying spoiler warnings for anyone who has not watched the Moon Knight series yet. In particular, the finale we are going to talk about as well. We will also do some Doctor Strange predictions before we say goodbye. I know Alec is seeing Doctor Strange on opening day, opening night, Thursday night. I am seeing it on Saturday, and we are hyped. And maybe there are some things to be you know, a little bit nervous about. Maybe we'll cover that as well. But first, Alec Argento, what's up? What's up? And yeah, to, to all the people listening on the pod, we're doing the intro again. That's for you too. <laughs> For you people watching on YouTube, hi, how you doing? Uh, Moon Knight just finished. We had a six-episode season with Oscar Isaac at the helm with multiple personalities, as well as Ethan Hawke playing the protagonist. Thanos was right? The protagonist? The antagonist, Ethan Hawke's character, Arthur Hara. Was Thanos right, Alec? Was Thanos right? Thanos did nothing wrong. There were whales in the Hudson. <laughs> And uh, was Amit much different from Thanos, perhaps? I think he was. We can get into that. Uh, but again, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't watched Moon Knight. We're going to talk about that now. This is off the rails, the segment where we go off the rails to not talk about sports, but other stuff that we love and are interested in. So, Alec, also sad that Drew's not here for this one because he seemed to have a little bit of salt for the Moon Knight wound that he considered as this series uh, that shouldn't have been a series. And it's a sentiment that I heard not just from him. So I don't want to throw him completely off the rails by himself. Other people felt like Moon Knight and Oscar Isaac deserved the big scream. I felt kind of like you can't make everything a movie, especially when they're trying to build out Disney plus. So it made a lot of sense that this was a series first. However, other characters in the world of Marvel were often introduced via movies and then given series, a la WandaVision, Loki, Falcon, Winter Soldier, et cetera, et cetera. This was different. This was a, a show that was told. we were told that didn't have a great deal to do with everything else that we've seen in the MCU. However, there were a lot of things that this taught us about how the MCU works, we think. 
that existed as well. So it had maybe a bigger impact than we thought. And the final credit scene of the finale proved that there should be some Moon Knight in the future. They didn't leave us completely hanging. They gave us a little something to snack on there. So before we get into any specifics, Al, let me just ask you this. What were your overarching thoughts on, on the Moon Knight series? Uh, I love the finale, first and foremost. I thought the finale was dope. Um, I, I little unnerved, little uncanny valley, and just kind of some shitty CGI when they first introduced uh, Amit and uh, and Kanchu. Well, mostly Amit. And kind of did it with Terrorot. I don't know how to pronounce it, but I'm, I'm going to butcher it the entire time with the animal faces and everything like that. Kind of looked a little wonky. But with that extra, that like huge bot battle at the pyramids and everything like that, and then the background having that like kind of like juxtaposed to the smaller fights together. I, my one complaint with the series is I would have liked more of what they had in the finale throughout the entire show, which is like that kind of seamless switch. And I understand that the, the way that they chose to do it was like they had to get to that point to do it. But like that seamless switching between Steven and Mark and everything and Mr. Knight and Moon Knight and all that together. I thought that was so cool. And just having them feel all part of the same person as opposed to having them kind of fight against each other. Uh, and then obviously with the post credit thing with, with Jake Lockley, who a lot of people thought was going to you know, show up eventually. But um, I thought the show wouldn't have been a good movie, to be honest with you, at least the way that the story was put together uh, as it was, because it was too small stakes for most of it. Um, like I understand that the overarching theme was that, you know, however many people in the world would die because of this, but the way that it, the story was told, I felt it was very localized uh, and things like that. I guess it's hard to do a movie too, because I don't think Oscar Isaac wanted to do a movie. Um, I th think that Marvel is doing this thing right now where they're trying to make it super uh, art artist friendly, making sure that people don't feel like they're on like a 10 movie contract that they have to show up to X, Y, and Z. Um, but they also gave him super, like a ton of creative control to do things. So. I mean, you look at the docket of what they're trying to set up. They have Blade coming out. They have um, Werewolf by Night coming out for as a special. And within that, they're having uh, Elsa Bloodstone come in there. So they're clearly trying to do that supernatural side of things, which is cool. Uh, and to just see other facets of the world uh, instead of just like New York and like some parts of San Francisco and everything. Um, and then on top of that, it's also mostly takes place in London and Egypt, right? It doesn't take right. place at all in, in the U.S., which is cool. Just to kind of see the how the world is. And they even make a comment like, you know, are you an Egyptian superhero in the finale? Which, you know, is a little kind of roll your eyes and everything like that. But also the fact it kind of reminded me of the fact that everything is so localized to New York. And it's nice to see what uh, things go on in the other world uh, and the rest of the world. So um, I think it was I, I mean, I really liked it. I, I also I, I want to do a rewatch of it. I want to see how it feels on a binge. Like there wasn't very like a ton of mystery in the show, which is what I really look for in these, you know, streaming service shows. Like I want to see something that is super chatty online. Like I want to. Uh, but I also don't want the ones what like Loki or like I, I, I'm sure I know you're not watching it, even though I've told you a thousand times, but like Severance on Apple mm -hmm. TV. It's like I want something where I'm guessing the entire way. But I also don't want something that everyone guesses at week one, like Westworld was or, or, or something like that, I, uh, or something like WandaVision where we build something up too much because it's so mysterious. And then the, the, what they put out on the show isn't as good as what you expect. But um, I liked it a lot. I do think it probably could serve well as a binge watch, but I definitely liked waiting for it every week. It was something I've, at the, you know, this day and age, it's hard to get me to get excited for a day to watch a show. And I was super pumped every Wednesday to, to watch Moon Knight. So uh, I was hyped about it. I thought it was a good show. I think Oscar Isaac's the man. Uh, I thought it was a lot more light than I think it could have been in certain areas. Like, cause they, it, 
I don't know. I, I'm not the type of person that, like this needs to be an X-rated movie where it's just so grotesque and like murder porn, like it's Saw or something like that. But um, he is a brutal character and they showed that he's a brutal character in a lot of ways, but they clearly tried to hide it. And they did it through the lens of like creativity of like the, the blackout sessions where everyone, when he wakes up and everyone is dead and brutally murdered and everything like that. But um, I think that only goes so far. Like I, I would have liked to have seen them get a little down in the dirt with things. Right. And, and just kind of show you how things happen. Yeah. I have, I have a bunch of thoughts on, on that. And in, in general to start off with what you finished with the Jake Lockley side of things with drew, I it kind of pointed out something that I needed to hear because not every Marvel fan is as invested as each other, right? Like there are some Marvel fans who are way more involved than other people. And that's just normal. That's just how it is. So I, for one, am somebody who ever since WandaVision, because I felt like there were so many things happening that I didn't fully understand that I felt like could make the show better. I went in and I watched YouTube recaps and Easter egg breakdowns and et cetera. And it, to me, it enhances my viewership. I know you had a take on WandaVision. You kind of just touched on where you felt like the hype and all the, the theor- the theories going on and all the deep cut looks and whatnot almost spoiled it in a sense. It, it, there's a lesser degree of looking into things that just helps you understand better. And that's the the thing that I fell into with WandaVision. And then Loki just knocked it out of the park. Cause when you realize how many intricacies go into the set, go into word choice, go into um, direct di- like director decisions, it's really impressive. And it makes Marvel the thing we love so much. Right. So then I realized when Drew was like, I didn't even know what Jake Lockley was. I didn't know who Jake Lockley was. There's probably tons of Marvel fans who didn't know who that was. And if I didn't watch the new rock star, shout out to new rock stars. If I didn't watch their breakdowns and whatnot, I wouldn't have known who Jake Lockley was. I hardly knew who Moon Knight was before the show was uh, announced, right? I hardly knew. I just kind of heard of it here and there, whatever. I didn't read the comics, but I was well aware of Jake Lockley from the the trailer of the show, right? I, I knew who that was because I was watching more than an Azure, uh, an average fan. I just almost combined Azure. Yeah, the averageable. <laughs> but I, it made me kind of appreciate a little bit more of what Drew's gripes were with the show, that he felt it could have been told as one big story. And that makes sense to me because he wasn't seeing the sarcophagus in room, the extra room in the duot, which now if people aren't in the weeds, now they're like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> but like if if you saw that shaken uh tomb thing, the sarcophagus in episode four or five, I forget which one it came out in. And you don't know that there's a third person in Mark Spector, Mark Spector's disassociative, disassociative identity <laughs> disorder. Tough words, man. Like then that thing kind of doesn't mean a lot to you. But as soon as somebody who's more in the weeds, who read the comics or watches the videos, sees that sarcophagus, you're like, oh damn, yo, that's probably Jake Lockley, right? And then even in episode five, when the one cut back to the insane asylum where now Mark has bandage on his nose, has a slightly different accent from Mark. You start to say, Oh shoot. Was that, did we actually see him before we thought we saw him? It turns out we probably did. Now I kind of wish when you talk about the finale uh, specifically that we saw glimpses of what happened when Jake took over, right? Cause that was like the climax of the show. Mark just got taken down by Harrow and uh, Layla's pinned up against the car. 
and you're kind of like, oh, damn, like what's about to go down now? Is he going to freak out? Is good going to override everything? Is Conchu coming back into play here? What's going to happen? And, you know, he blacked out. Jake clearly took over, which we know now, wiped out the whole crowd and and really won won the won the battle. Right. I wish we saw a little bit of that, but I understand why they chose not to, because it led to that uh, post credit scene and really sets up the future of Moon Knight if if they choose to go that direction. So from that regard, I became a little bit more sensitive to the idea of like, oh, damn, an average Joe who's about to go watch Doctor Strange on Friday night because they seen uh, Infinity War, Endgame and Spider-Man. You know, they don't know about <laughs> they don't know about Amit being behind the other Egyptian god who's the real one. You know what I mean? Like th- they don't know about all that. So it made me a little more sensitive to it. But overall, I was a little surprised with uh, the gruesome part of it that you were getting to. It felt like they hit the gruesome stuff a little bit earlier. And then a lot of that gore kind of slipped away. Like when, when Moon Knight, when we first saw him and he was just wailing on that creature in the bathroom, it's like, yo, Moon Knight's about to fuck shit up, right? And then our Moon Knight scenes that we got after that were a little bit more few and far between. And that was okay because we were invested in the characters and the DID, the dissociative identity disorder, Steven versus Mark, who's real, I can't say that word. Like that stuff was all really interesting. But I do think one gripe, from some fans is relatively fair. There wasn't a ton of moon nighting. Wasn't a ton of it. Cause really for like two and a half episodes, he was lost from Conchu as well. Mm-hmm. I will say one thing that I really did like about it. So, uh, you know, I'm telling on myself for being a nerd, but when I was in college, I used to read comics pretty, I used to go every Wednesday uh, for new comic day and everything. But one thing that's cool about moon Knight in the comics is that you actually don't know if any of it's real because he's a crazy person, or maybe I shouldn't say that, but you know what I mean. Uh, and he's a very unreliable narrator. So you don't know if Kanchu is even real. You don't know if any of it's real or, or it's just made up. Maybe he has his superpowers for one thing, but they kind of displayed that in the show pretty well. Like, ultimately, you lean on the side of, okay, yeah, it's real. Like, oh, you know, everyone, you know, there was a, granted, there was a giant fight in the pyramids and everything like that, but they don't really show that anybody reacted to the giant fight in the pyramids outside of just like the, uh, the losing the souls and everything like that. So, but flipping back and forth between that psychiatric ward and everything like that, that clearly seems suspect, but also he goes back there after everything's done. You know, you know, it seems a little wishy-washy on purpose. And I like that because I want to know that I don't really know what's going on. Right. I, I like that the mystery aspect of it. I don't want it to be super straightforward. Um, and they displayed that really, really well in the show, in my opinion. So I like that a lot. And it's so different from other entities of Marvel where like you know, Falcon and Winter Soldier, you know, there's deception because, you know, Sharon Carter is the power broker. That that's mm-hmm. deception. That's more of like, you know, sleight of hand, if you will. It ain't sure. it, it, you know, it's not exactly magic. But other realms of this universe that we are being exposed to a lot of which stems from Spider-Man, which I think it makes so much sense that this happens post that. Like, it makes more sense that this stuff exists because now we're talking multi-dimension, we're talking monsters, we're talking all this stuff that Doctor Strange is about to deal with in the movie that comes out tomorrow or today, if you're listening to this on Thursday. It's important for that stuff to be shown out too. And the best thing I did love about the finale is after, you know, they put Amit back into Harrow and then Mark decides to let him free, then he's right back into the award. You're like, what? And then he snaps out of it. 
beats it. And then he's right back in the original bedroom of Stephen yep. Grant's flat in London. And then you got like double whoop de dude there because you're like, oh, snap, it wasn't real the whole time. And you're like, nah, it was real. The no, it wasn't real the whole time. <laughs> and then as soon as Mark and Steven continue to converse without any hindrances and any blockages between them is when you're like, okay, no, at least a good chunk of this, a portion of this was real. And, and that kind of landed the ship for me. Cause I did feel like there were some loose ends. Like the Layla was like not really given a true ending. She was just there when Mark decided to not kill Harrow in that moment. Um, but that kind of tied it together to me. Like, okay, they accomplished a lot as characters. I guess you can count them as two different characters. And now let's see where it goes. They're back where it all started with the sand around the bed. And the sand was so symbolic, obviously, in many ways with Steven at one point and Mark getting tied up into the sand in the duot. So that portion of it really like landed it hard for me because at one point I was like, was there a slight anticlimactic feeling to that ending there where you didn't even see Moon Knight like save the day because it wasn't Mark. It wasn't Steven. It was probably Jake. And then it definitely was Jake. And then they did really tie together when Steven and Mark conversed at the end. And we're like, all right, we're together now and we might be stronger together. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm with you, man. I thought it was cool as shit. Um, I, my, my, my question going forward. So I know it wasn't on the docket here, but we also have the Thor trailer come out oh, recently. Yeah. Huge. I'm wondering, so, uh, again, we're in spoiler territory and we all know that Christian Bale's in the movie as Gore, the God butcher. If you look at the trailer, they have the, uh, the Greek pantheon there too. In addition to obviously Thor being the Norse pantheon and everything like that. But now we have the Egyptian pantheon. I'm wondering if uh, you see some of these. Like, I really like this whole god aspect, the gods aspect uh, in in Marvel. I know it's in the comics and everything, but how they're introducing it and just like them not actually being gods, but just essentially superheroes of their own time, and they're able to influence the, the you know the, the world and whatnot. But I'm wondering if you see uh, uh, when in Thor, uh, if Gore goes after any of the Egyptian gods in there too. Maybe you see a little Ahmed in there or something like that, get the ax uh, from Gore just to show how powerful he is. Um, that'll be cool. Cause uh, you, you know, the only person that's gonna probably survive that, uh, the Greek pantheon is probably Hercules cause he's a huge Marvel character, so. Yeah, 100%. And I'm glad you brought it up cause I was gonna bring it up as well, right? You saw Zeus in the trailer, which uh, the big, uh, it's not a spoiler. It's just a big fan theory right now that Zeus is gonna come in. He's gonna be outrageous. He's going to be an over-the-top character and just get brutal. You don't hire a Russell Crowe to play subtlety. I <laughs> yeah, know. Just going to be brutal murder. Like, it's five minutes after we get introduced to him. That's, like, what everybody's assuming. And honestly, if they give it to us, I don't think anyone will be disappointed. But the Egyptian deities that now exist in the MCU absolutely play a role. Because So, for anyone who's not familiar with gore, and not like I'm some sort of expert, like I said, I just watched videos on YouTube and, and looked into some comic stuff. Like he's pissed off at all the gods because he found out basically at his planet's reckoning that the gods could have done something. They did nothing. They wield all this power and they do nothing with it, uh, but fight with each other and, and, and bad things. Right. So he took that vengeance. He got uh, the p power of all black, which is a sword that can kill gods. Hence Gore, the God butcher. And he's on a vengeance tour. And that's why he's now running into Thor and now that makes me believe there's no reason he wouldn't run into all these other people and the celestials because um, nowhere from the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, which is a, a place, right? Nowhere. 
that's a severed head of a celestial that was in theory butchered by the same sword that gore wields so all these things tie together to me that's what makes marvel so incredible is that like it's people say oh it started with iron man and it and it built up to this crazy thing you almost have to think about when they're making iron man like three at that point and like the thor captain americas of the world are now in play uh, the first avengers is in play are they thinking about gore the god butcher you know what i'm saying yeah. maybe not but like at the same time it ties in so well to one another that like they were and granted they have all these variations of the comics to base also base off of and pull from and recreate their own little character. Well, you know, you know what? I mean, they, they plan things 10 years in a row, uh, 10 years forward. I feel Peggy uh, is planning is like having a retreat with all the Marvel brass this week or something like that to plan the next 10 years of Marvel, which is like crazy to think about and all the like intricacies of that, especially now that they have like Disney plus as a platform now. And they, they're putting out like three, four movies plus four to five shows a year or something like that. Just like imagine the intricacy and like just the uh, the storyboard people that have to make sure that everything is not jumping all over each other and contradicting each other. Yeah, I mean, it's insane. I, my head gets blown up every time I even just see what comes on screen. I can't imagine trying to, you know, yarn it across a whiteboard to figure out who's meeting who. And Pepe who, Sylvia. Yeah, like <laughs> what means what? Like it, it really is in, incredible. But, I, I have a question for you before we go yeah. off of that. Uh, maybe I'm stupid here. When, when Layla is going through to find um, uh, Kanchu's totem or whatever it was called, I forget what the actual word is. Yeah. Um, she passes by like 30 other gods. Yeah. Clearly all of the gods hate uh, Amun. Why wouldn't you just smash all the fucking, uh, all the, all the, the, the little statues and just release them all and just like go for it. Or is it just like, maybe they're all bad and you don't know, maybe they're there for a reason. I, I don't you don't know what you're getting into when you start smashing shit, right? Like you don't know what's coming <laughs> out the other side, I guess. That's, I guess. I thought the same thing, right? Like what if she didn't know what Kanchu looked like? What she clearly, I guess she did, which wasn't covered specifically, but she's also well, like, I guess he's an Egyptian God. So like you could see the pictures and know that he's a bird one. You know what I mean? And, and she also knew Mark was to do with Kanchu. So she's aware. And also she's like, um, her dad was the, I can't think yeah. what's the word where they dig and stuff, whatever. Uh, archaeologist. Yeah. Yeah. So she's, she's, Indiana Jones. she's aware. So yeah, that that's a fair question. I thought that too. Like what if she's like, I don't know which one it is. Whoosh, whoosh, and they all yeah. Just God madness. That would have been, that would have been well, because there was like four gods that like were still active from Egypt and like the rest of them, like just, I guess everyone screwed up at some point, but like, I don't know, like it can't all be bad. I just, they're all clearly going to hate this person. And there was, create a cool storyline going forward <laughs> that was that was something that even even nerdier people than than you and i were talking about early because the the ennead which is the hierarchy of the egyptian deities uh technically has like seven god and i'm gonna mess this up so do not quote me on this there's like seven of them but then on the original poster in moon Knight, there were nine and like three of them aren't even a part of it so that led the the groundwork for the big four that remained clearly pulling strings and kicking people out and stopping them into, into stone over time. So this was been, this has been a mess for a while. Basically, I got to give you credit. You couldn't say like dissociative uh, personality disorder or whatever it is, but you're saying all these Egyptian archeological terms like that. <laughs> I give you a ton of credit, pal. Yeah. I wish I could take the credit for myself, but uh shout out to uh, Eric boss on new rock stars. Like he's just, I mean, I'm, I, I wish I didn't have to kiss his ass, but you watch those videos. I'm like, golly, man, this guy must not sleep. 
This guy. So time-consuming. So time-consuming. And the videos are edited with clips and cutaways yeah. and small. I, bruh. I'll tell you what, what I'm doing with this video is I'm going to snip off the first three seconds and the final three seconds <laughs> and it's 30 minutes and it's on YouTube by the next hour. So yeah, <laughs> it's special stuff. Um, but to, to circle up on Moon Knight, then we'll do some Doctor Strange predictions. Moon Knight moving forward, right? A, I, when I say rank, I don't mean in like specifics of like numbers or anything like that. How do you rank them in like how much you want to see him moving forward? Uh, and then B, what is your prediction on how he's incorporated moving forward? Uh, yes, I, I want to see him a ton. I don't know what you mean by ranking him because, uh, well, I mean, like, compared to like people from the other shows, and just I mean, I, 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 I don't need to see Hawkeye anymore, I don't need to see Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I know they'll, they'll be in movies going forward. There's obviously Captain America 4 coming out with, with, with uh, with Falcon, but like those movies, those shows like kind of suck in my opinion. Um, but, um, I definitely want to see him things, but I want to see him. I want him to get another se season of the show, which I don't know. They changed the series. It, like it was titled series finale. And then it, they changed it to the season finale, but it's not, they didn't say like Moon Knight will return at the end of the episode. At least I didn't see or anything like that. Like they usually do. Um, and, uh, but I'd love to see an extra season of that. I would love to see him do like the cool supernatural dark side stuff, but like go fight vampires with blade and do like a midnight suns or something like that with ghost rider. That stuff's cool. You know, I like that they're trying to explore all these different aspects of Marvel. Like first it was just like the, the very like normal human being type people, like the Iron Man's and the Captain America's and everything. And then they started doing the cosmic stuff and everything. And now they're starting to do the magic stuff, but within the, there's all like subsections of all that too, right? Within the magic stuff, there's like that weird underbelly of the world or, realm or whatever you want to call it with the ghost riders and the blades and all that stuff that's cool to see i want to see that but like do it right make it dark uh and make it cool uh and like i'm not saying it has to be super super gory or anything like that but you'd be doing a disservice to all those characters if you like just kind of like it was like a paint by numbers quippy uh you know uh jokey type type show or movie with those people so i'd like to just i'd like to see him in more stuff for sure i think oscar isaac's an awesome actor i think he actually knocked it out of the park with this uh especially considering some of the the the, the dialogue is a little stilted at times which is a problem with marvel in general and you just kind of accept it but um i i just think he was awesome and especially like it's hard to play multiple personalities right like i it's it, it's like both James McAvoy did it recently with uh, uh split. Not split, split, yeah, which he did great. But also, I think the way Oscar Isaac did it in this, which is he played it as a person who would have it, like in the way that, like, right. yeah, his British accent sounds like a, me doing a British accent, or his Chicago accent sounds like me doing a Chicago accent. Whereas, like, you watch Split, and he's like, you know, he's all buttoned up, and he's got all these exact personalities and everything like that. I don't. Know, I think it's cool. It just felt like felt like someone who is like making it up as they go along right like who has an issue in, in doing that which i thought was really good uh and also like playing off yourself which is i'm sure very difficult because you're obviously not in the room with the other person i just think he did a great uh, a great job and i would just love to see it now where it's not where the 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 majority of the show or movie or whatever vehicle they have for it isn't mark versus steven versus jake i want everything to kind of come together and to like interchange because that was the coolest aspect of the show to me was at the end everybody was just all all one unit working together like different gears in, in, a, in a machine until jake came up right which that that will be the key contention point to the next time we see mark steven and jake like like, like 
now it's Mark and Steven together, probably versus Jake. They don't even know that he exists really right now. Yeah, but I don't know if they could do that again. Like the same like exact notion. Like maybe yeah, that's an episode. It'll at least be the starter. That'll sure. be the starter point to where they now realize, oh snap, we still got Conchu? Like we're still Moon Knight? Because yeah. if they if Mark and Steven thought they weren't Moon Knight, then there's no show. Then they're just two guys walking around talking to each other. One guy. True. But True. so there's gonna be something there where now you know, who knows what Jake's Moon Knight looks like or acts like, but that's something that they have to explore whenever they come, whenever he comes in next. Um, I agree though, wholeheartedly want to see more of it. I think Mohammed Diab, who is the director of the show, like insane. The visuals of this, I, I always look back to that one scene where uh, Stephen Grant's Mr. Knight, where he kind of made his coming out party, not when he first got on the suit, but when he um, and Khonshu moved the stars, like, what a visually just insane yeah. scene. Like it looked so freaking cool. So I'm, I'm in on more of that for sure. And, and he's definitely coming back because the tea leaves that I'm seeing, Isaac is invested in this role, which you touched on before. He was an executive producer on the show because he cared about it. And I think he's talked about it a little bit. He feels like he was shorted a bit with Star Wars. He was shorted a bit with uh, Apocalypse in X-Men because it just went, kind of poorly in, in different different ways. And he wanted to do this one right, and he wants to build it out, and that matters. And that means when they call him for something, he's probably going to be game. So I think I think we see more Moon Knight, for sure, for sure. All right. A little longer than we thought on the Moon Knight for up, but that was great. I love talking about this stuff. Man. They don't have to stay on. If they want to leave, they can leave. I'm sure that they love it, though. I'm sure that they left already, so... <laughs> <laughs> um. So now let's talk Dr. Strange and let's do some predictions. So it is now officially May 5th, not technically because we're recording at 1130, but it's May 5th. The movie comes out. It's not quite out yet. If you're listening to this or you haven't seen it yet, here's some predictions for you guys. Let's first and foremost cover a few things that we do know. And we do know that Patrick Stewart exists uh, as Professor Xavier with his yellow hovercraft that was in the last trailer we do know that captain carter exists in this movie as well and if you did not watch what if i would recommend trying to watch at least episodes like one the doctor strange episode and the final one uh but whatever watch it. it's an easy watch um coach carter exists we know that some sort of photon or captain marvel variant exists where it's maria rambo or monica rambo perhaps and that may be it, but there's going to be more, right? There's going to be other characters from other movies or other superheroes or supervillains from other walks of Marvel world that are popping up. We know this, and based off the reviews, we almost definitely know this. It's not quite as obvious as Toby and Andrew coming in as other Spider-Men, but something's happening. So, Al, first and foremost, on what you're hearing from the review front, how's that making you feel about what's coming? And then give me a prediction about who's going to pop up. Yeah, so review front, I was a little worried because I was reading the so the I think uh, on Rotten Tomatoes like seventy nine percent or something like that seventy five percent forget where I saw it last but that's okay like that's that's not great it's not you know you some some of the better Marvel movies are like ninety eight percent or something like that when you, you see like a Winter Soldier or the End Game or whatever the case is uh, but I started reading the reviews and uh, if you look at them they're mostly like hey, there's not a lot of substance here. It's a very Sam Raimi movie. I don't want to go see a Sam Raimi movie that's not a Sam Raimi movie. Like I, 
he defined my love for movies. He defined my love for superheroes because when I was like five years old and Spider-Man came out uh, with Tobey Maguire and then Spider-Man two and three, like it, it was like defined a lot about me as a human being. I love that stuff. I also love his evil dead movies and drag me to hell and all that stuff. Oz the great and powerful sucked, but uh, that's whatever. Uh, but I want to go see a visually spectacular movie. I want to see cool action because we haven't seen a lot of cool action with Marvel in a while, actually. Um, which I want to see insane visuals. I think my, I didn't actually like the first Doctor Strange movie. I love the character. I was really excited for him, but like, I thought he was like really misused in that movie, uh, especially just like his powers were super like shield, you know, like he was whip, you know, that's, that's all it was. And then, you, uh, you know, the mirror dimension was really cool in that, but, but it got, got old kind of fast and they're still using the mirror dimension uh, in all of his movies. But uh, he's been in like a ton of movies since then as like a side character and you've seen his skill set evolve and nothing was cooler than Infinity War for me when, you know, he's doing like, and they think he did an end game too, but, you know, uh, that, that constant just like, you know, uh, multiple copies of yourself and, and the multiple whips and everything like that. And you're going to see cool shit with him in this movie. And that's what I'm really excited about. I want to see this be big, right? I don't mean big as in like, I need to see Endgame where everybody pops up or anything like that. I just want like to showcase that like these two people, Wanda and Doctor Strange are incredibly powerful. Like if Iron Man went toe to toe with them, Iron Man would have died in a second. You know, that, that's that's right. what I want to see in this movie. I want to show, show like showcase how powerful they are and not powerful, like punchy powerful. I want to see like otherworldly and other universally uh, powerful they are, right? And you can kind of just see that in the trailers alone with their, with you know, what they're going through uh, the different dimensions and, you know, they get, I think there's like an animation dimension and stuff like that. Nice. That's cool. And uh, hopefully you get at the end of it in terms of like what I expect. I want to see hopefully a way that mutants finally get uh, introduced into the, in, into the MCU you the patrick stewart coming in with his yellow thing that's from x-men the cartoon from when we were kids yeah. and um they but continuing that show on disney plus soon so i'm curious if they're going to somehow if she if anybody's familiar with the com com comics with house of m where she gets rid of all mutants maybe she does a reverse here where she gets them all back or i guess you know still part of house of m where she gets all the mutants back but maybe she brings that universe into this that sounds wonky, but I'm into it if they can make it, make it work and everything. Uh, that's the biggest thing I want to see. Also, uh, I'm curious with the Illuminati that, that they're putting into this. Uh, it's no secret that they're doing the Illuminati anymore. There's rumors out there. There's been plenty of rumors. Uh, like I, I've heard like Mr. Fantastic's going to be it. I've heard uh, t uh, Tom Cruise's Iron Man's going to be in it. I've heard a bunch of different rumors for like the past year of like all these different fan castings and everything like that that may or may not be true. One thing I, I'm going to tell you right now I don't care about is Agent Carter. I have not cared about her in one thing that they have ever put her in. I didn't care about her in, in Captain America. I didn't care about her when she, I didn't care about her when it was in What If. I don't want to see her anymore. I, I don't think she's an interesting character by any stretch of the imagination. She had a closed loop in uh, in Avengers when with when Steve had his uh, closed loop. Just right. leave it at that. Stop pushing this narrative. I don't care about her. I've never cared about her. And if you're going to put her in a dozen snippets of different movies, it's not going to make me care about her more. <laughs> just just move on from the character. You have so many other people that you could play with in in this world. Like, right. go go do what you're doing with uh, with the photon or like i don't know enough about her but like clearly they're setting her up for for something go for it if like you want to have like a female presence there that's fine i get that uh but like that particular character 
is the most boring fucking character I've ever seen in my life. And she just gets shoved down my throat as a, as a, like a, a MCU fan. I don't get it. Yeah. Well, it's like, all right. So it's a variant of her who actually gets the first super soldier serum. Right. So like that, whatever, there's definitely an alternate thing that happens, which we're going to learn about. I'm sure at least a little bit. I agree. I don't think there's a ton there. That's like the first episode of what if I was like, okay, this is a cool concept. I didn't feel completely moved by it, but it was a cool concept. I do think there's one thing to it. It almost makes like Steve Rogers, Captain America, like a piece of shit. Like this Captain Carter is a multidimensional warrior. And like, you know, Captain America couldn't even, you know, take on some of the regular heroes we got around here. You know what I mean? Well, I don't know. I I would, I would, rebuke that because without captain america 50 percent of, of the universe would be gone so oh, of course i mean I, I, you're right i was being a little bit downplayish there and you know what i think my personal arc with captain america was when the first movie came out i was like oh my god i love captain america and then like how corny and like righteous he was all the time i was like Ugh, whatever and then he kind of made it a heel turn back when he did the hail hydra thing in the guy's ear and kind of flipped the script and like didn't always play by the rules right and that that's kind of like the Captain America that I fell back in love with. Yeah. But yes. T- besides the point, I do agree. I don't know how much intrigue is there. I don't think it's going to be that big of a part of the movie, but if you do watch, what if she does kind of play a big role? So yeah. But what if was like, uh, that show was all over the place. Like for, <laughs> sometimes it's like, it's just like a random episodic show where, uh, and then sometimes it's incredibly serialized. Like that show was super wacky and most of the show was not good. Other than the Doctor Strange episode and the, the zombies one was good. And the zombie well, I'm talking about more of like meaningful. The Doctor Strange one clearly has influence on the movie that's coming well, out. Well, no, because no. they said in they said in interviews that this is not that same Doctor Strange. They said no, it's the same influence. Not it's not him. Got it. But the influence is clearly there, even from the choices they're making in the trailer. Well, clip. the reason I said that is because I'm starting to worry that the shows don't matter at all because they keep saying that the shows are going to matter. The shows are going to matter. So far, they haven't mattered. We'll see with Dr. Tree. That's going to be the big barometer because not even just what if, because like you can get away with not including what if and things like that. That's it's fine. Really it's an animated show. Straight. Most people didn't watch that. Yeah. yeah. But wandavision is like this is supposed like if you don't acknowledge yeah it's yeah so we'll see how much that that impacts things because they say that it's like required viewing uh to watch these things but if they're gonna keep putting out a bunch of shows like i'm gonna pick and choose what i want to watch out of those things i don't have the time for some of the crap that they put out should be fair and then you'll hear like oh uh the Marvels, which is one of the ones in the works, like that show looks horrible. Uh, Captain, mm-hmm. uh, the the Miss Marvel, whatever. No, no, no. Like no, not not Miss Marvel. The, I know, Marvel. the movie, right. yeah. whatever, whatever. But you get you get the point. But let's circle back here for a second. Sorry, it's all good. There's too many. There's like so many things to try to wrap your head around. It's all connected. <laughs> <laughs> On the Doctor Strange front, this was my. It's not even a gripe. It's more of a question mark. When Doctor Strange was introduced to us, he was a douchebag. Right. Like he was this hardcore, arrogant doctor who then learned all this stuff. And despite then becoming a little bit more righteous, was still like kind of a hardcore guy. Like he's kind of like was stuck in his ways. He knew he was doing the right thing. So he did it. And then he became more of like a spiritual leader of the group. Right. With his mixed tones of sarcasm in the Avenger films, where, you know, now he's looking into the future and he's being solemn, like this is the only way. And all this and that. And then in Spider-Man, he was like kind of a dick again. And I'm like, all right, who is who is Doctor Strange? Who is Stephen Strange, uh, the main one, not Sinister Strange or 
whatever other strangers we're going to run into in this multiverse of madness, like uh, our main doctor strange, like, is he a, a prickly, like arrogant jerk uh, sorcerer Supreme, or is he now like this fatherly leader? Who's like a little bit more spiritual in his guidance. And I I don't know where this doctor strange comes out from Spider-Man where he was a little bit of both. Like he was kind of a dick early to Spider-Man. Then he was pissed because he trapped him. And then he was like fatherly again, you know? So I, I don't know who, who, who does that sound like though. Sounds like Iron Man. Sounds like Tony Stark. Tony Stark was always both of those things his right. entire time in the MCU. He was always snarky and a dick, but he was also always incredibly smart and incredibly strategic and looking out for other people, like self-serving when it when it, when it he needed to be, and incredibly altruistic when he needed to be. You know, that's a great point. That's a great point. And you know, we were all curious when Spider-Man was coming out, like why would Dr. Strange do like this crazy spell? Like why would he Wong, Wong is like, bro, this is crazy. I'm just letting you know, this is crazy. You probably shouldn't do it, but I'm leaving. So I'll go over here. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Wong is the sorcerer Supreme now, which will actually probably be touched on more. He's going to die. My, my boy Wong going to die. Oh, I see it. I see it in the tea leaves. Oh no. That's a prediction. We, you heard it here first. You heard it here first. Uh, so yeah, is Wong, I mean, is, is strange now, bitter that he lost his mantle because he got blipped and you know basically like endgame changed the mcu in in so many different ways and one of way is obviously the blip re-blip unblip whatever that affected all the shows and movies we've seen since and then on the other front it just changed the way we expect stuff like our expectations now are like oh my god it has to be everyone it has to be huge it has to tell personal stories and have huge action I don't think we're getting all of that in Doctor Strange because when I first saw that it was two hours, I was like, hmm, I expected two hours and 50 minutes, not two hours and six minutes. But that leads us to a slight chance of, I said to you in the text, trying to stick 10 pounds of sausage in a five pound bag or a five pound casing. I don't, I don't really know. Can, how to can, can you do a poll after this and ask how many people have heard that phrase? I can't. I will. Uh, I won't. But... <laughs> I think we'll get a lot of things that matter for the next five, 10, 15 movies. I think we'll get some sick cameos um, and maybe we'll miss out on some of the doc, uh, the doctor strange development from an individual standpoint. Cause they're going to be dealing with six of them. Well, wouldn't you be fine with like them showing like what I was saying before, just showing how badass he is and like showing right. what they can do. And like part of Here's why I'm not too worried about the runtime too, is that you don't need to establish the villain. We all know who Wanda is now. Like right. that's, that's the villain of the movie and you don't have like Mordo is not the villain of the movie or whoever the Illuminati or anything. It's Wanda. We know it's Wanda. We have a lot of information and context about her. So maybe like there's no setup that needs to happen. You could roll right into what's going in there. True. So what I just want to see there is like, I want, I, I want to see dope visuals. I want to see cool things that like are mind bending and like, I want to see that signature Sam Raimi, like creepy yet goofy at the same time with spinning, that. Ca- spinning cameras and, and stuff. Like I, I love it. I love it. Like give it all to me. And I hope they, I mean, like I, I won't be upset if they don't, but I hope they lean into the horror stuff. Like, which is what you, you, if you want Sam Raimi, you want that, right? You want the creepiness, but also that like campiness that goes along with it. That's what you get with the Sam Raimi movie. So from the reviews I've been reading, it says that's there for sure. If you're looking for like a deep character piece, you're not going to get it. But like, if you're looking for cool stuff, it looks like it's what you're going to get. And like at a certain point, 
that's what I want in a superhero movie. I want to see cool things. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, don't, I don't need to hear... It's great when you have an endgame and an Infinity War that really dive deep into the characters. But I'm also fine with... Right. Yeah, exactly. I'm also fine with just a cool-ass movie. Like, Spider-Man, for example, the last Spider-Man movie. Like, it's not like... There's no deepness to it. Like, I mean, I guess there is to an extent. But, like, it's not like this deep, dark character dive into who they are as a person. But it's there enough where it's like... I can just enjoy this fan service moment that seems super earned and not ham-fisted into the audience, right? Mm -hmm. I can really enjoy that stuff. So like when I see the Illuminati, even though I know it's already coming, I can be pumped about it because I'm still going to see stuff that I don't expect and whatever it is. And I'm fine with that. I don't care how they were, you know, who they are as human beings or, or, you know, superhuman beings or whatever it is. Just enjoy the ride. That Like it's fine to enjoy the ride with the superhero movie. I felt that way with Eternals. Like I, I everyone hated that movie. I was like, it was fun. Oh, that was fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, I agree. Um, quickly, and we'll end up. Wanda, a lot of people were on this early. She was one of the strongest characters in the universe, easily. Uh, like the Scarlet Witch, who she wasn't yet until the show, right? Um, she's one of the strongest characters. It is what mm -hmm. it is. She has now this whole other realm to explore and way to affect the entire universe. She's been reading the books. She's been doing the seances. Some crazy stuff's going to happen with her. We know that. That's so exciting. I think she's a great character. Shout out to Lizzie Olsen. She's also very cute. <laughs> she won't be very cute in this show she'll be pretty scary but besides the point <laughs> final predictions final predictions here i want one illuminati illuminati member from you who you think they're going to reveal you don't have to guess who's going to be the actor just what one character that you think is going to be in the illuminati that we don't know yet i was just going to say professor x before you said oh. we don't know yet i was going to i was going to so sneak in there uh I'm torn. I I would think Namor normally because he's a huge uh, he's a huge Illuminati guy, but he's clearly being set up for the next Black Panther movie. Uh, I think it's got to be Mister Fantastic. He's a, he's an Illuminati member. I don't. I I'm very curious. I've heard rumors for the past couple months that it it would be uh, two different people. It would either be I don't. I'm not going to pretend to pronounce his name it's like jan grufford or something like that the guy from the original ones from like 2005 the original fantastic four movies which are garbage but like we're also just bringing in a bunch of people from like movies that weren't good and just giving them redemption arcs now with the multiverse and i'd be fine with that or it's going to be the biggest like fan casting of all time which is john krasinski people have wanted john krasinski and emily blunt to play mr fantastic and, and uh, sue storm for uh forever uh yeah. so i would be very curious if they do that and they would probably be a cool thing because uh, uh john watts who directed it was supposed to direct the next uh fantastic four movie dropped out you if you get krasinski you can then get krasinski to direct it because krasinski is now a director he's actually a damn good director too uh, if you've seen the quiet place movie so be down for that but that my guess is that and then my other big predict like hope or hopeful prediction is just bringing the mutants finally into the MCU because we need it at this point, but I hope they just do it in a good way because it would, there's too many question marks. If you just say they were either already there or right. like, or if you just bring them in, in like a house of M type thing, you're also, there's a ton of mutant history because they've always been there with like apocalypse or something like that. Right. Like you, you don't want to lose that stuff. Um, and then they'd also have to like retcon Magneto because his whole backstory is with the Holocaust. I'm very curious to see what they'll do, but I'm hopeful that we'll get the ball rolling on that stuff. Imagine trying to make yeah. those decisions, bro. I'd be yeah. like, what? Yeah, I don't know. But smarter crazy. minds than ours. That's crazy. Yeah, for real, yeah. for real. Okay. My, I also think the Fanta Mr. Fantastic pick is, is a big one. 
I think this is more of me hoping. I was hoping for a Jonathan Major sighting and just some sort of Kang variant who might not be as like aggressive or, you know, delinquent the right word. Somebody who's not like the evilest version of Kang. Like he who remains at the end of Loki wasn't the evilest version of Kang. He said it to us straight up. He was like, Kang is the evilest version of Kang. Right. True. I'm saying Kang, yeah. but he was like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's not going to be like Kang the Conqueror. It's not going to be, you know, was it Farrah the Farrah the Tut? One of those other, the one that the people predicted might Peter be, the Kennedy. Peter the Kennedy. Uh, but maybe some sort of Jonathan Majors Kang variant that exists in a more mellowed matter. But I think that just brings too much to try to explain. And I, I think people would have freaked out if they saw that. I, I don't think that's happening. Um, so I, I oh man, I, I guess Mr. Fantastic was my guess too. There's a bunch of other ones. I, I'm going to predict that we don't see Tom Cruise superior Iron Man. I'm going to, I'm going to predict that. Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 that's a big one from like, historically speaking of like the, what could have been uh, uh, like castings. Cause he was supposed to be Iron Man before Rob, they got Robert Downey Jr. Uh, it would have been a very interesting Iron Man. I would love to see Tom Cruise. He's, he's such a psycho. Uh, and I would love to just say it. Um, Maybe but also if they bring him in, I think he dies really quick. <laughs> Probably, I mean, like that might happen with the Illuminati because it looks like immediately she goes to battle with them, like as soon as she gets there. So I wonder, like, I don't think you know she might kill one person, like to kind of show. Her. Maybe she, hopefully she'll kill Captain Carter. Oh, be so great! Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! <laughs> but uh, you know, just to kind of show how how like dominant she is and everything. But uh, like th that was one of the biggest, not to use the term, but like what ifs with the Marvel universe. Like, what if Tom Cruise played um, uh, Iron Man, but also. John Krasinski was like this close to being Captain America too. So that's another one. Like if they just cast him in, the, in a similar role and see how it works out, I'd be super pumped with that stuff too. Oh man. I'm so excited. I know. Uh, I'll be getting out of the movie. I'll, I'll be an hour out of the movie by now tomorrow. There we go. All right. We have nothing else to say. We can keep talking for like nine hours if we really wanted to, but we were supposed to do a 15 minute episode on Moon Knight <laughs> and Doctor Strange. And here we are at 50 minutes. Maybe unlike the movie, we went too long. Who's to say? Who's to say? All right. Ten bags of sausage and, and five five bags. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Enjoy Doctor Strange. Enjoy Moon Knight. Enjoy Marvel stuff. It's awesome. We also have Thor to look forward to really soon, which is gonna be so fun. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Alec, I appreciate you. And now like we can't really talk until like Saturday night. I mean I, I can talk. You can't well, talk to me. You wouldn't do that to me. It depends. I mean, don't piss me off. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm seeing it Saturday. I'll see it Thursday. Hopefully you guys see it soon. We'll do some more off the rails Marvel talk afterwards at some point. And uh, I'm, I'm hyped. So thank you all for listening. Mets Yankees video. If you watch this one on YouTube first, go check out the Mets Yankees video. If you watch that one, thank you. We appreciate you. Subway Sports Talk. Cheers.